a Pulp MX Network production. The only athlete-to-athlete podcast in the sport. Questions from a different perspective. The hard questions you want answered about training, riding, and being a professional athlete. Not only in motocross, but in other sports realms as well. Welcome to Shifting Gears, the Zach Osborne Podcast. Welcome to Shifting Gears, Episode 4. In true Shifting Gears fashion... I went to a nice, quiet little spot uh, down by a lake in Claremont, Florida, uh, near the home of myself and Tyla. And um, sure enough, just happened to be the day that they were unloading some beer kegs at the restaurant across the street. So, hey, we're just going to keep this trend going. Hopefully, eventually, um, there won't be any sound issues. So, thank you guys for your patience. Um, thanks for listening. This episode with Tyler is awesome. He gives some cool insight into what it takes to come from South Africa to be a professional racer in America, um, what it's like living in Europe. Just a really cool story. Um, thanks for listening. Have fun. Episode four of Shifting Gears podcast with Zach Osborne. We're here with uh, Tyler Rache. Uh, we're in beautiful Claremont, Florida. Nice Florida spring day. 80 degrees out. Starting to get a little humid. Summertime's coming. Um, Tyler, thanks for taking time. It's nice to have you on and uh, talk about your career a little bit. Pretty dang successful um, by all accounts. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Good to good to be on the show. Um, I haven't really done many podcasts before, but um, you know, always good to obviously catch up with yourself and you know have a chat. I know. I feel like we see each other every day, but never really see each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's obviously you know it gets busy out at the farm with um, you know we have a lot of variables out there with. You know, guys going for titles, and then we've also got kind of what we call the newbies, the amateur rookie kids coming into Supercross. So, you know, things get hectic out there, and you know, as you know, it's it's it gets busy out there. We have long long days and and all that. So, yeah, yeah, nice. Um, about that, like, yeah, you're now retired. Three years retired. Three years. Yeah. Three years retired, and um, working at the Baker's Factory full time um, with five rookie slash amateur guys at this point yeah no it's uh been going being retired now for three years and then kind of stepped straight into the training side of things and you know this year been helping out uh, obviously jordan bailey's he's the rookie in supercross and michael moseman and then on ktm i have little mitchell folk who unfortunately got hurt the other day but you know he'll be back soon and obviously shane and jordan smith so you know like i said it's uh we've got we got two guys that are title contenders, a guy that already has already had one year of experience in Supercross, and then two rookies. So, I think it's a, it's a great a great method and theory we have down here with this 250 program. Obviously, the goal is for them to get into the 450 class right. and be on the factory team. Um, but I think they've got a good uh, good structure down here where you know the rookies can look up to the to the title contenders, learn from them, and then obviously the title contenders their goal is to win win championships and then go on to the 450 program. Yeah, of course. Do you do you like that 
more development side of things, or you wish you were more uh, on Alden side of things, where you have four like established guys? I feel like if it were me, like I would almost want the development kind of thing because it's more uh, sort of instant gratification. Like you can see progress more often, whereas you know with sort of the 450 guys, it's more uh, just more the work ethic. Yeah, work ethic and grind every day. Yeah, it's definitely good to see um, you know see the guys progressing out of the farm. It's uh, you know perfect examples. Moseman last year through the whoops, he was struggling you know quite a lot and it was actually quite scary watching him at first. Um, and this year, completely different rider through the whoops. Definitely, he's, he's um, came so far. He's definitely year. stepped it up. I think he hasn't really showed his full potential yet on race day. Um, but like I said, it's a it's a whole learning experience. It's it's also getting having confidence. You know, going to the line, knowing that you've put the work in, had good week. You know, never missed a day, and you know that's what that's what builds these guys up. But yeah, getting back to your question, I definitely think for myself, helping develop riders is is what's good for me to see. Yeah, and I'm, you're still sort of in a way developing as as a coach or a trainer in, in the same you know at the same time. Yeah, no, for sure, and uh, I think that's what's good. I have uh, the 250 title contenders, and um, you know, once you step into that that 450 class, then it's uh, it's really doing a huge monitoring system because you want to get the best out of the guy and, and put in that, that big workload but it's got to be monitored you know, very carefully and that's where Alden can you know, just have four guys to focus on and you know, he doesn't really have to worry about the whole development side of, of the 450 right. guys. How did that kind of come about? You kind of stepped right into that um, as soon as you retired from your last year in the GPs and I mean I know that you worked with Alden for a couple years during your career. Obviously you're both South African and so on and so forth but um, as far as the job like how did that all come together well obviously you know Tyler was the I think at that time the KTM satellite team and in 2016 was when he was going to be basically the full time factory 250 KTM team yeah um, and obviously he was looking for you know Tyler Keefe yes yeah. he was looking for a you know a good guy to help his guys get in shape and obviously with me having my connection with Alden in the past you know and working with him you know for five years it was definitely a a good for myself a good good spot for me to jump in and, and help these these younger kids and riders coming through um, and yeah I just basically took it from there and then you know one year went by and Alden was really looking at getting a 250 program up and running at, at the farm um, and like I said the the whole goal is to get these 250 guys over to the 450 side right so you know I think it's a it's a great opportunity to have down here for these young kids coming through through from amateur racing to get onto a KTM or Husqvarna just because of the process they can get to and where they can go. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's nice from my perspective to see that there is like a, you know, a plan or a curve in place for uh, like last year, two years amateur through pro, you know, I mean, all the way to, to the tip top if you, mm. if you so wish. Um, sweet. Well, that's sort of an update on where you're currently at but yeah. I want to talk more I, f- I just had said to you a minute ago I, I feel like you didn't really do there wasn't really many podcasts or anything like that while you're in Europe like it's sort of a new thing and yeah interviews are you know here and there but like it wasn't like you were a media darling or anything mm. you were just kind of a quiet yeah. hard worker off to the side so I find it so incredibly hard to fathom how you can 
even you know no, no no disrespect or due respect to South Africa but like it is so far of a dream to like come here you know like mm. I can't imagine the hurdles that you have to jump like we think of it of it as being hard even being from America to become mm. a pro and and be on a paying team and ride and all that and you managed to do it from South Africa that's that's mind-boggling you know it was um like there's been people who have done it yes but it's like a number of you know less than five or ten ten for sure yeah in the history of motocross no no for sure and I think going back to that it's I think you know Albertine paved the way for us South Africans obviously with him going over to Europe and and winning three world titles and then obviously coming over here to the US and racing yeah and after that it was Langston um, you know and when Grand was actually leading his world championship in Europe in 2000 that's when I went over to Europe and was based full time there and you know just seeing obviously Grand also win the world championship and me growing up with Grand in South Africa and racing and okay, not with him just a class below him all the time because um, I'm three years younger than him um, it definitely helped me you know, believe basically in myself and also what South Africans can do because yeah. two of them have already done it. And, you know, like I said, when I went over to Europe, it's not like I could have gone back to South Africa and I had a wealthy family and there was money and I could do what I want. Yeah. You know, I had that mindset when I went over to Europe that... How did you get there to start with? Well, there was a guy in South Africa called Tina Snell. Yeah, okay. He, that's that's kind of what I thought. I mean, I knew that you had ridden for him on... Vangani, along along with yeah. a lot of other guys, like I mean BT, Bobby, you know, tons of guys have yeah. had ridden for him. But like that, he must be like the the angel that saved South African motocross. <laughs> yeah, sense, he you know? he took us. He took actually me and Gareth over Swanepoel. Yeah. We went over first in 2000, and um, you know we were based in in Germany the first year, and then. We weren't even in Germany for a year because we knew we needed to live in Holland or Belgium yeah. um, for us to ride in the sand. Because I, I won't forget the first Dutch national we went to, <laughs> Langston lapped me twice, and it was oh, it was painful, man. It was I've never seen tracks like this. We've never ridden tracks like this in South Africa, and you know when we went to the first Dutch national, I couldn't believe my eyes. You know, seeing these sand tracks and how rough they got these big holes before these ski jumps, it yeah. was insane. And obviously. Me being 14, my first year on a 125 was, you know, it was a big eye opener. So we were only in Europe, in Germany for about eight or nine months, and then we moved to Belgium, and then basically that's where I settled down. And but at that time, know, it wasn't even easy to like get into Europe on a South African passport. Correct? Yeah, well, we had to get visas and do the whole visa process, and you know, obviously the the process of that wasn't easy because. I think now it's a lot easier because all the you know the Schengen states are all connected yeah, and the all the borders are, are open. But when we went over, all the borders were kind of closed. Yeah. So you still needed you know visas for Switzerland, visas for Germany, right. visas for all over Europe. Um, but other than that, it was you know, but just a whole different culture of it. You know, going yeah. over there and you know you you came from America and just going over. You know, England is probably the closest you're going to get to America. Yeah. But when you go to France or Belgium, or it's just completely different. Yeah. And that, for me, in the beginning was tough. Obviously, being 14, not having any friends, um, and going over there, I'm like, man, this sucks. But there wasn't an option. I wanted to be a motorcycle racer, and 
the mindset that I had on it is I, I could not fail. I had to make it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that, that makes sense coming from I've never personally been to South Africa, but I know, you know, it, it, from what I've heard from you, from Alden, like, you know, it's it's not exactly you know Claremont Florida yeah, by any uh, means so I mean that's an accomplishment in itself to to get you know good enough at motocross at a young age move you know get get an opportunity to move from South Africa to to ride in Europe and at that time it was more or less the only gateway you had to get to America but like even in that span of time somewhere you had to be like man this is a like a long shot you know yeah yeah, no for sure and and that's what i thought when i first went and raced my dutch championship (laughs) like oh man i was like dude am i ever going to make it in this sport (laughs) i mean i got lapped twice and you know finished maybe 30th out of 40 people yeah so it was you know it was it was tough man i get it but then also when i went from 2000 when I got lapped and to 2001 and 2001 I finished 7th in the Dutch Championship so the That's improvement I made it, that was my big jump that I made and then going from 7th to 3rd and you know I think in 2002 or 2003 I won the Dutch Championship so you know like I said I think the whole development side of it when you're still at such a young age is crucial to be at the right place to better yourself yeah but then again like from that jump from South Africa at 14 to Holland at, you know, Dutch champion at 17, 18, still, like, Supercross is a long, long, sh- like, way off, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. A lot had to happen to get you there. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, you know, like I said, you go from, you know, going to Europe, it's, in the beginning, is very tough, obviously, and, you know, there's no family there, you don't have any friends, it's all about just riding and you know, having that mind frame of I have to make it in this sport. Yeah. You know, I haven't sacrificed all this to fail. And I mean, you know, won the Dust Championship in 2003, got my first podium at Grand Prix in 2002 when I was 16. Um, so, where was that? In Genk, in oh, Belgium. Wow. That's where I got my first podium ever, and you know that's where I, the ball started rolling. And then in 2003, kind of got like factory support, and then in 2000, still on Bangani. No, that Tina time Serna. was um, in 2003. It was called Brewforce KTM. Okay, they used to be with that Millennium KTM team. Okay, they kind of partnered together and came up with a new name called Brewforce KTM in 2003, and then 2004 I went to the factory. KTM team. Okay. And then, yeah, ever since then, I was, my rest of my career, I'd been on a factory team. So, nice. It was, you know, like I said, in 2004 was when I finished second to Ben Townley in, uh, in and the then MX2 05, World Championship. You, 05, I blew my knee out. Blew your knee out. That was the first time I think I ever met you. We went to, yeah, we went to that Amityville Horror uh, in, um, in Holland. Yeah, to watch yeah. English subtitles. <laughs> uh, what a time. Um, so then you, three years, basically, of injury. Yeah, in 2006. Like some, some good highlights, but also you were you were going to be world champion. Yeah, 2005, I blew my knee out, and then 06 was very up and down. You know, I, I think I'm, me and Philip Hodge won the most Grand Prix, but I still only finished like fourth or fifth in points, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then 2007 was, yeah, that was a bad year. I didn't win any GPs. I got a, had a couple podiums, but I didn't win any. And then 2008 is when I finally put it all together. World champion. That had to be, you know, like looking back, like 
monumental. I mean, yeah, no, for sure. Because in 2007, I also blew my knee out again. Oh yeah, the same knee that I did in 05. Yeah. So I had to get another surgery on that. Um, that was in Namur. Uh, no, Namur was 2005 was Namur, and then 2007 was Czech. Yeah, in Lockhead. Okay. So I remember that uh, 05 thing because. Um, Paste. Remember the movie Paste? I remember there was like a highlight of you, like kind of spinning around a corner, and you were explaining about your knee. Yeah, but it was. I mean, it's a bummer, but you know how it is. It's that's part of the sport, and you know you got to. You know, four down eight, stand up nine. Yeah, for you know, sure. And, and keep pushing through it. And, you know, you as a racer, you've always got one goal in mind, and that's to win the championship. Right. And, you know, in any in any class that you're in, an MX2 and MX1, your your goal is always to go there and, and try to be a champion. Right. Especially if you've got the skill and the ability and the work ethic. And I think a lot of it comes down to the work ethic. Um, you know, when you put that work in, you know, kind of, I feel the talent nowadays kind of gets pushed aside. The work ethic's going to take over. Yeah, I um, agree. There's so many people now with such good programs and high yeah. level of bike and everything. Like, if you're not working hard, you, you, the days are are kind of gone of winning with just talent. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. a race here or there or whatever, but it just takes grind. I just think to be more, yeah, you, the talented guys can come out and win a race here and there, but I think more for, a, to be a title contender, it's going to come down to that work ethic. Yeah. It's going to be, that's what's going to, you know, get the job done. For sure. Uh, so, backing up a little bit, how did you even get, like, started? How did you like first bike yeah I got whatever. my first uh, motorcycle when I was five years old um, I always went to a f- friend of my mother's place in South Africa and he had a PW50 and I'd go to his house and ride his PW and she said to my mom oh they race these little things and she couldn't believe it so then for Christmas my my grand bought me a my first motorcycle and then from there basically went down to the local track started racing loved it and then you know, it just grew from there. Grew and then there, every, yeah. every time there was a race, we would be there racing. Um, you know, and then obviously, you know, once you go from the PW, then back then it was a PW80. Mm. You know, then yeah. it was... You raced a PW80? Yeah, PW80. That's impressive. I, <laughs> I don't know years, anyone... No yeah, good, good, yeah. Oil injection, the full yeah. deal. I didn't... I don't know if I would know anyone who's ever raced a PW80, so that's that's pretty legendary. Yeah. But that was, like, the thing to have? Like, yeah, that, was that was the thing it. to race? That was it back then. And then I went straight, actually, from a PW80... Um, straight to a clutch lever. <laughs> so it was that, a big jump. So what was that? Then? So I was eight years old on a... KX60 uh, or... No, a CR... CR80. CR80? Yeah. Oh, dang. Clutch lever. That's and a I big was, jump from a PW80 to a CR80. Yeah. That's like... So it was that was a big jump for sure. And, you know, I think I was eight on a CR80. So I was still a little <laughs> guy, you know. That must have been wild. So it was... Yeah, it was definitely... So how did you get up with Tinas in the beginning? Uh, well, obviously, I was racing in South Africa, and then... But he was in Europe mostly, right? Or? No, no, no. He was still in South Africa. And he only actually came on late. Um, I think he helped Grant get over to Europe basically like in 1998. And then I raced for Tennis's team in South Africa in 1999. On a, they were Hondas then. Um, and I was on a Honda 80. 
And then, yeah, 2000, I went up to uh, KTM 125, and then, yeah, I was KTM pretty much my whole time. Nice, nice. All the way in Europe, too. So then, 09, uh, 08, you win the World Championship. 09, you come to America, but you had some issues, visa or whatever, you skip Supercross straight into outdoors. Yeah. How was that? Like, obviously, you know, coming from a world championship the year before, you had to have had high expectations to come to America. At that time, the team you're on was, uh, in my opinion, head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah, like, no, you know, sure. yeah, you had no, to, I mean, you know, like, like you just said, you think, oh, world champion, I'm going to come over to America and just crush it. Yeah. You know, but like I've said to everyone, it's every world champion that's come over here from Europe basically the past you know 10 years myself Marvin Kenny that first year is always a struggle it's just so different the, you know it's a one day racing format you've got basically 30 minutes to get the track down right. first lap you can't jump any jumps all the tracks you've never They're ridden in your life you've got, you got to bring the travel into you know into play too yeah. especially living on the west coast traveling to the east three hour time change yeah. you have to be at riders meeting you know, Europe was more, you know, wake up at 10 a.m. Right. Ride know. maybe once or twice during the week. Sometimes not ride at all. Yeah. Drive you the motorhome. It's just a lot. It's, it's a lot different over here. Yes, at the end of the day, it's still a motorcycle, but, you know. That's the only similarity. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing you have here is basically it's the same motorcycle. Right. <laughs> but other than that, everything else is, is different. Yeah. And, you know, you cannot compare even motorcycle setup. The, the s- suspension I ran in Europe is never going to work over here. Right. And the stuff here is not going to work over there. Exactly. It's just the tracks are different. Uh, so back to 08 quickly. We had one sick battle. Um, I did the last six or seven GPs. We actually had a good battle in Lommel, but it was only because at my first GP because you fell in the first turn. Yeah. I think you passed me like one or two laps to go, but you were about to win the championship that year, so I was stoked. Like, oh yeah, you know, you barely Bad passed thing. me. <laughs> but uh, then in Ferry House in Ireland, we had a sick battle in the first moto. You got really lucky to win the GP my bike blew up in the second race <laughs> so it was just a stroke of luck for you and and you know obviously gave you some more points and whatnot but <laughs> it was fun no actually out my tongue was in the spokes when my bike blew up and it was kind of one of those things like shucks you know like maybe i was going to get on the podium but i was i was trying really hard because we were battling again and uh it was like almost a relief because i didn't want to just <laughs> float backwards after like 15 minutes but yeah fun times so yeah no that was uh that was I'll it was a such a unique it's, it's track, crazy because you think uh, this is now 11 years it <laughs> hey, don't don't and it's like I feel old it feels that. like it was just the other day i know it's crazy it's crazy how, how quick it goes and you know that's the thing with racing is before you know it oh your career's over yeah how old are you now now 33 33 so it's you know it's I still remember that track you know it was in the middle of a field man made with jumps crazy weirdest was, dirt ever we were yeah. basically riding on on grass complete wood chips and grass yeah. it was the strangest thing I mean but it was dude it was fun and that, I think that's the cool thing about Europe especially now with them traveling to all these different countries that's really making the world championship uh, they catch a lot of flack for that but I think it's it, it almost has to be done. I think just from a more from a budget standpoint for teams, it's yeah. tough, you know. But I think for you know for the sport growing and growing outside of Europe, you know, right. in America everything's done in America, Supercross yeah. and motocross. But we need for obviously motorcycle sales and for the sport to grow. 
to be traveling around the world you know and that's what's going to get the sport to grow and you know obviously when motorcycle sells up everything else goes up you know budgets get yeah. better and you know so I think what the the GP series with them doing yes they've got a lot more rounds than when we raced back then but I definitely think it's it's going in the right direction Skosh accessories for life listen guys their slogan sums it up they are accessories for your life I use the Magic Mount vent clip every day, boom bottle all the time, go bat when we're traveling, whatever it may be, the functionality and durability of these products is second to none. That's why myself and Rockstar and J Husqvarna Factory Racing choose Skosh. Accessories for life. Check them out at Skosh, S-C-O-S-C-H-E dot com. So back to 09, 09 you had a decent outdoor season? Yeah, no, 09, uh, it was tough, I mean... You know, I, I think Glenn Helen, I got third, the first national. I think Dunge won. That's a big step, though, so like, to come from Europe, third, be on the podium at second. Glenn Helen, like, that's pretty wild. But also, Glenn Helen, I knew that track. Yeah, So sure. we've been practicing there, we've been testing, like, you go to the national, I know the dirt. Right. And then I go to Hangtown, and I'm like, dude, I've got two 15-minute practices <laughs> to get this track down. Yeah, to jump you the know, jumps. Yeah. And it's like, and then it's time to go racing. Right. You know, and I think, I think what helps the guys here a bit is, especially back then, is you know doing the Supercross series. It really helps with being intense right out of the gate. Yeah, for sure. And and it's, Europe it's, back in the day, I remember, was thirty-five plus two. Yeah, you and know? you had two forty-minute practices so and you a could, twenty-minute race on Saturday. Yeah, so you had you had time to you know get the track down. Right. There was no rush. Like even in the motos, there was forty minutes. I knew after twenty minutes, guys would start getting tired, right. and then you could pick the pace you up. You could kind of sit on your fitness a little bit and yeah. rely on it at the end. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Where now, I think the level has got so tight up up in the front that there's six, seven guys that are on it in the beginning. Yeah. If you don't have that intensity in the beginning, you're going to be an eighth-place guy on the moto because by the time halfway comes, they're still in a battle. They're still pushing yeah, each exactly. other. Yeah, exactly. They're still gapping you. You know, and by the time you get going, it's, it's kind of too late. Yeah. Um, then... 2010, you raced Supercross, right? Yeah, 2010 raced Supercross. No, 2010, I actually missed Supercross. I got hurt at the test track. Oh, okay. Kind of hurt my shoulder and, you know, never, never uh, took two months to get there. I was thinking of maybe trying to do East Coast. Yeah. But by the time East Coast came, I was still struggling with it. Right. So, you know, basically missed that. And then 2011 was my first, my first year of Supercross. And then my first race at Anaheim, I podiumed. I got third that night, which, you know, for me was... But that had to be on, like, sheer, like, hard work over the winter because it's not like you had any... No, no, and that's the thing. When was the first time you saw, like, a legit Supercross track, 2009? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've never never ridden a... I mean, I raced Bercy one year. Yeah, but that's not... But that's... You know, it's very small. Yeah. But my first Supercross that I ever rode was when I came over here in 2009. Yeah. So... Already then, I'm 23. Kind yeah. of the boat's already sailed, you know. So, it's, <laughs> dude, it's tough. If you if you want to come over here and be successful in Supercross from Europe, you need to come at you know 18, 19. Right. Yeah. You got to get it young. You know, you got to be young coming over, especially if you want to be a title contender, because it's dude, it gets tough once you get you know 22, 23. Yeah. Kind of the boat's already sailed. Yeah. You know? uh, and then 11 outdoors was good, right? Yeah. No, 11 outdoors was good. Um, that's the year Kennard won the championship. Yeah, but you were I close. You won some races, yeah. right? Yeah, I won uh, three nationals. Um, 
I had maybe seven or eight podiums yeah. that year. So, I mean, it was a good year. And then also 2000 and... No, 2010, Canard won the championship outdoors. Yeah. That's where I got uh, second overall. Um, I think I won two nationals that year and then had a couple of podiums, maybe four four podiums. And then 2011 is where I won four nationals. And then that's the year Dino won the championship. Oh, okay. He was on fire that year, yeah. though, so it was still pretty yeah, no, good. Dino was, yeah, Dino was on it that year. And, you know. and then 12, you were leading the Supercross championship. Yeah, crashed, crashed massive in Oakland. in Oakland, big crash, like yeah. kind of ended the season. Neck. Yeah, my C- I fractured my C7, so I was out for basically the rest of Supercross, Supercross. and then came back for outdoors. But you're at 450 outdoors? Yeah, 450 outdoors. Went through the first turn at Hangtown and then got roosted with a rock, broke my hand. Oh. So I had to get a plate put in, so I missed, you know, the first five rounds. And then came back and hit the last seven, but it was, you know, it's it's tough also jumping into a series when the guys have been racing and oh, got that race intensity. It's, yeah, I mean, I'm going through it right now, and, and people like, don't people. That, that's the hard part, like what people don't understand, and even fans, and you know, even local guys that race on weekends to to just jump into a series when you know you're coming back from injury and they're already five rounds in. Right. You know, it's that's that's hard. Very, very hard for an athlete to it, jump in. It and can't be discounted win. how much they're gaining. You know, you gain from just a main event. You know, yeah. like just over the weekend we did the Triple Crown in Detroit, and like even this week, my week's gone so much better because I gained just that knowledge, experience, fitness. Mm. Like it, you know, it's it's such a building process throughout the season that it's hard to it's hard to miss even a, a, a weekend. You know, like yeah, if you have some mishap and you miss a weekend then you're almost starting back at kind of zero again yeah, it's so no, tough. exactly it's because also when they're racing they're getting that intensity right too, and their fitness is also getting better yep so you know when a guy's hurt he's basically losing fitness these guys are racing gaining more fitness and then you come in you think um i'm actually feeling pretty good yeah you know and then you like get to the racing like dude i'm way off <laughs> what you know <laughs> so it's like it's it's a whole boarding process you know and and some guys pick it up quicker than others you know it's they can come back in, you know, two, three weeks, and yeah. then you're back kind of where you need to be. Right. So, um, so 12 outdoors race the uh, 450 PC, 13? Uh, 13 did um, Supercross, but I, I don't think I was... Still already. PC. Yeah, still PC. 13, I did 250 Supercross, and then 450 outdoors. Um, and then, I mean, 450 outdoors didn't really go like how it liked yeah but, you know I think I got a podium at uh, High Point with Dungeon RV oh, okay um, yeah, yeah 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 yeah. I remember so now. it was you know those it's it's tough when you're racing you know guys like that oh yeah that's, that's the pinnacle of the sport yeah, too of course. so it's you know it's I think, honestly, to get a podium in a 450 class is, is huge it's whether massive. it be Supercross or Outdoors if you're a podium guy it's it's Pretty bad. Earlier, you mentioned Albie, uh, Greg Albertine, and obviously, you know, he, he was coming. He was champion at the time that I was kind of coming into the sport and that. And um, I didn't really, I actually didn't realize until the couple weeks ago when we were talking in the gym that he was three-time world champion, beat Stefan 
to a couple of those championships. Like he was a dang legit guy. Like was he your your benchmark growing up? Oh yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Especially coming from South Africa. Yeah. You know, and I actually spoke to to Albi the other day and when we were in Anaheim one and you know, he he was leading the championship going into Lomor by I think forty five points. On the, he was leading both motors on the last lap with like two corners to go ran out of gas both motors mm. Everett went 1-1 had a five point lead and that was it and Albi still came back and won the championship oh. yeah 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 yeah. So, yeah. You know, Albi I just think from a mental side of it and it's, it's the same as Langston too they were very 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 strong guys I feel like that has something to do with kind of where you guys came from though like you you get to a point and you're like wow like maybe I can do this and then you get to another point and you're like like nothing's going to stop me now yeah. you know like, but like I've I said, come I this far more more when you come from South Africa you know like I said I know Grant never had any money growing up yeah. you know neither did myself so when we came here there's no other option of failure right you have to make it. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. There's a, there's no plan B. It's plan A. If plan A goes wrong, you, you keep firing at plan yeah, A. Keep, yeah, there's no there's no plan B. There's let's come here and make it. Otherwise, what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. You know? It's there's no option to you know not make it and oh we'll go work for dad or yeah. help mom at the coffee store or something like that. Yeah, you know it's come here and make it. So f- uh, fourteen. Was that the year you went back? Yeah, that's the year I went back to... What made Europe. you decide that? I didn't really want to race Supercross anymore. Um, Just because of 450 crash. Supercross? Or? Yeah, and I never, I didn't want to go 450 Supercross. Um, just because, like I said, I kind of missed that boat, you know? Yeah, the, the learning boat. So, yes, the, the last class is... is, is I'm not going to say easy to get podiums, yeah. but more realistic than going into the 450 class right. to try to get podiums. Yeah. And, you know, also Supercross, you need to have a good bike. Mm-hmm. If you're a privateer in the 450 class, I don't, I don't really see a podium coming in or even top fives. Yeah. You know, it's going to, it's it's going rare, to be tough. It's rare, for sure. So that's when I decided I'll go back to Europe and do, you know, one more year in Europe and... You know, finish off my career where it started. Yeah, but you ended up doing two years, right? Yeah, yeah I ended up. So doing you did second year. fifteen or uh, fourteen on KRT. No, no, fourteen on Husky. A uh, Husky, sorry, Ice 15. One, and then fifteen on KRT with yeah. RV. Yes, but fifteen, you were more in like a almost like a mentor trainer like role with RV. Yeah, well, RV was coming over, and you know, I didn't, I wasn't really sure if I was going to keep racing because my hip was bothering me. Yeah. So, you know, then Avi was coming over, and then I was like, oh, you know, give it one more shot, you know, one more year. And then, you know, that for me was the toughest when he got hurt and I had to do my motors and that by myself. Yeah. You know, and then that was uh, that was a tough time trying to push through motos. And then I'd kind of try to link up with Jeffrey, ride with him a bit, yeah. you know. But, um, you know, that was... That was basically the icing on the cake thing. And it's tough, too, when you get to a point like that because you already know at the end of the year I'm retiring, I don't want to take yeah. any risk. And, no, I've, you know. I think of that, you know, like, obviously I'm not ready to retire anytime soon. You know, as long as I have health and everything's good, we'll, you know, we're going racing. Yeah. But, like, when I do, I feel like when it is time, you know, in four or five years to, like, have that last year, it, it has to be hard to be, like, going racing and, 
know that the that end is lost. in sight. Yeah, you, or, it's kind of like the lights at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You can see it. And you don't want to mess up before you get there. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, for, for mentally it's tough because, you, yeah, you still want to do good. But you also want to be safe. Right. You know, and like I said, what, what was killing me was my hip. It was it was not fun riding anymore. Every time I'd get home from riding, it would be hurting. Yeah. Are, you're getting your hip done this year, yeah, right? Yeah, I want to get it done at the end of the year. Get a, It's basically a hip resurfacing. It's yeah. like the full hip replacement. But that's just from riding, right? Yeah. It's just, uh, the honestly thing is just from at such a young age, riding in Europe and La Mall and those Beating sand tracks and just basically it's wear and tear is what exactly. the doctor says. So, yeah. you know, I need to get it fixed and once I get it fixed then I can you know run normal walk and not yeah. be in any pain anymore right you know? and I can even start I can even ride a bit. I was gonna say when when you get it done do you think you'll start riding yeah because you like haven't really ridden at all have you since no, you stopped I rode once since I've retired from racing the, but, um, your last race was Glen Helen 15 yeah the GP and then you've ridden then I rode since then the week after Vegas at Elsinore well, you that know, was terrible. I mean, that was, I mean, the track wasn't very good. <laughs> I just went and rode for fun. But, you know, other than that, it's once I get my hip fixed and my little guy started riding now. And Yeah, you know, he's shredding. I saw on Instagram the other day he was racing at local track, Tampa MX. Yeah, and, no, he loves it. And, you know, once he gets, you know, off the PV and onto KTM and can ride a big track, then I'd like to ride with him a bit. So, you know, like I said, I need to get it fixed so I can do normal things and not be in pain when I'm doing it. Yeah. Sweet. Well, so, like, looking back, do you miss, what do you miss the most? Well, yeah, obviously I miss, you know, I miss racing. I think any race is going to say that, that adrenaline you get when you go to the start line and, um, you know, also putting in, you know, the hard work. Yes, I'm, I train guys now, we still, we work hard, I'm on the bicycle, but, you know, the riding is what was the crucial part, right. you know, and, you know, yes, I still miss the, the hard motos, but, you know, everyone's career comes to an end one day, you right. know, whether it be in any professional sport or business or anything, people are going to retire one day. Right. And, you know, unfortunately in motocross, it's younger. Your than career is a lot others. younger than any other, you know, sport. Yeah. So, you know, but like I said, it's if you've still got the motivation and the biggest factor is the injuries right. you know Health. you can stay injury free and be healthy and if you look, perfect example is look at Carole. Yeah, you know he hasn't been hurt much and he's still you know I feel he Shredding. was probably his best year was last year yeah it just so happens that, that just Jeffrey, Jeffrey was, was on another level you know and yes Jeffrey's I think 10 years younger than him and you know but like I said I think Carole last year was it's probably the fastest I've seen him ride. I mean, he, you know, Jeffrey lost five motos. Tony won all four of those, but one, I think. Yeah. DeSalle in Russia. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. But, like, he was dang near second every other every time. Round. You know, so he, it just shows. But, like, like I said, he, Tony's a guy that hasn't been hurt a lot. You know, so he's 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 going to have a long career. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's also like he's like you like we were talking before. It's also kind of when you're racing, you keep up that intensity. When you get hurt, you kind of fall back, and then you got to kind of build up again. Yeah. And you know, when you when you stay injury free, you just keep getting better and better and better. The intensity gets better, the body gets fitter, and you know, it's all those little it's just building, 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 building instead yeah, of like every year he's building and the forward. base that Caroli has now. Is, is huge insane you know? for sure so it's it's definitely you know the sport is tough and it's it's definitely not an easy sport you know you've got to can't let your emotions take over 
you know it's uh, it's motocross and supercross and the thing is also with you know being down here and helping these younger guys is you know yes they're 18 years old but they kind of need to mature in a quicker rate to yeah. basically a 25 year old I always say that like I feel like uh, most most professional athletes you can see a maturity in them from a young age like even seven eight years old they're they're not the kid that's over there and playing football you know for fun they're yeah. thinking about what they have to do you know it's, it's like a a four-year mature maturity, maturity yeah, yeah where they're where they're more mature four years more mature than than the person that they're next to you know and i think that that's a, a huge thing i was just about to ask you about that because you kind of came through the system before it was nearly as good as it is now. I mean, yeah. in my opinion, the European, like, EMX 125 and EMX 250 are, like, the ultimate feeder system. Yeah, exactly. Um, what, do you think that we could use something more like that or in that direction in America? Like, do you like that? Do you think that that gives something to the guys, you know, to, to ride the same tracks and to, uh, you, you know, be at the races, see the teams, kind of have a little bit of the pressure before they go to the full pressure, um, but dumbed down in a, in a sense? Yeah, yeah, no. For, I think what they have now in Europe is, is very good because you're going to get these young kids on these EMX, you know, 125, and a perfect example was a guy like Prado. You know, he, he really wanted to get on a factory team, and he started on the 125, and then he went to EMX 250, and then, you know, he won there, and then now he's on the MX2 program. Um, and it's kind I think of, guys uh, are actually won every thing you can win at this point like he won EMX 85 world 85 125 world 125 EMX 250 EMX 2 and MX 1 yeah dude that's 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 pretty impressive impressive. you know but the experience you had to gain from all that stuff to get to MX 2 it kind of has to prepare you right yeah yeah no for sure I definitely think it's it's a step that you know the US is going to have to I think that they're rent. they're in the in the right direction with the futures thing, but almost at at some point they have to put the futures with with the right you know with the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's you know you, I mean yeah, supercross. And the thing with America, everything is now funneling more to, towards supercross. Yes. It's you know, and, and we've seen that at the at the nations the past couple of years. You know, I think a lot of the a lot of the riders are developing as supercross riders more than outdoors, and which is understandable. We only get four months a year, you know. You know, and you know, there's not much time off after the last national, and it's back into supercross. So, you know, where Europe is, it is just only outdoors. Yep. So, but I definitely think you know, even going towards outdoors in the US, they need to kind of bring up uh, basically like a the supercross class that they have a feeder of some sort EMX you know the 250 but have that at the nationals right where yes maybe the races are not as long maybe it's a 15 minute plus a lap but they've got two motos it it kind of orients them to the same day sort of the same conditions you know they could race first and last or whatever even if they did a a deal on Friday and then one of their motos is you know midday when yeah before the races start or whatever before opening ceremonies just so they can you know also ride the same track right you know it's I think it definitely helps the younger crew coming through I think that's one one area where they the European series kind of crushes us a little bit in America with uh, with the uh, feeder system yeah. for sure I think it's uh, 
and you know you have more, you have more entries too, and it helps grow the sport. You have more spectators at the race because they have to watch you know their little grandson, but then they're also going to watch the pro guys. Yeah, you know, so it's I definitely think it's a you know the way the GP series are doing it, they're going in the right direction with with helping the sport grow, and that's that's what we want to do, especially you know even with us training down here in Florida. That's why we got this whole you know 250 program. It's a feeder system, right? And and that's what we we need to try get in this sport, especially here in America. Fly Racing USA. Dudes, I love a BOA system, okay? If it were up to me, everything would be BOA. No more shoelaces, no more snaps, just BOA. BOA everything. So when Fly told me they were putting the BOA system on some of their pants, totally stoked. Um, I love everything I have from Fly. And one thing that people probably don't know is they make some pretty sick mountain bike stuff. So when I'm out on my Levo crushing it, I love to wear Fly. Check them out, flyracing.com. Only because I'm super passionate about it, and you just mentioned it, the nations. Um, all of our guys take a lot of flack every year. You know kind of the commitment that it is to continue riding um, that extra sort of five weeks at this point, four weeks after yeah. the season. Uh, you know what the grind's like for, for me or for, you know, any of the guys here. Like, can you speak on that a little bit? How... Not how hard it is to stay motivated because I, I think if you're keen to do the event, it's the motivation is not a huge problem. But just how much it is on your body, like to just continue for that extra five weeks with no racing while those guys are building, like we were talking about earlier. Mm. You know, the whole time they're racing, they're building, 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 and we're just kind of pounding motos in the heat in the hottest time of the year. Yeah, yeah no, I think it's you know it's tough the the schedule that they have and they don't. They don't interact with each other over here, right. you know, with GPs and, and America. So you guys are done, you know, with still five it weeks used to, to be go. Closer, obviously. But now it's like, okay, you've just finished a whole Supercross se- season. You've just done 12 brutal rounds of outdoors. And so, yes, you take a break off. You take two weeks off. Okay, so now we've done nothing for two weeks. And then, okay, now we need to get ready for Motocross of Nations. We've just had two weeks off after going for, what, 35 weeks. Yeah. And then... And those two weeks felt real nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then now you've got to get back to the ground in the middle of summer. It's. I think it's just the preparation isn't going to be what it needs to be. Yes, if the Motocross of Nations was the week after the Nationals, yeah. different story. But, you know, with it being, you know, five weeks after the last National, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Just, you know, Stay. physically because you haven't raced now for five weeks. You've exactly. taken some time off after the last National, which you feel like, well, my body needs it. Right. You know, and then, okay, now I need to try to get ready. And this year is going to be tough because now they go to Assen. Yeah. So what does that mean? That Team you USA special need to head to Europe for about four four weeks. So At basically least. after the last National, Team USA are going to have to head to But even that four weeks, sand. like... If if we went four weeks early, which I you know, if if I get picked or if I'm have an opportunity, I'm in. Like that's you know that's for sure. But even with that four weeks, that's you know for someone who's never seen Lirap, Lommel, Assen, Valkensward, even uh, you know any of that stuff. That's almost like trying to learn supercross in four weeks. That's that's a tough thing. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's tough, and it's and not like a, your average. Sand, the sand the best thing to do, especially to going going to a sand race like Assen, is whoever does the best at Southwick, that's who needs to go. 
You know, yeah, but yeah, even then, like, it's not even close. But it's still the closest sand track here in America to, to what you're going to go race. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, that's going to be the best way to pick is not by the guy who's the champ, but right. whatever's the best team for USA, for Motocross of Nations, is going to be basically your pick of Southwick. You know, yeah, yeah Southwick isn't a... It's sand, but it's not a. It's not going to be an Assen or a Lommel or somewhere like pretty, that. Assen's pretty unique in the fact that it's all hauled in and everything. Yes. But it's deep. Like, yeah, it yeah, is no, proper that's sand. That's what I'm saying. After the last national, Team USA, if they want to have any shot at winning, yeah. they're going to have to head to Europe and spend a month riding in deep sand. You know, and yes, it's going to be, like you said, hard to learn the full technique in a month. Yeah. But you can sure Make it get a lot better. Yeah. To try be a winning team. Agreed, agreed. I think you know, shoot. But then, then again, it's also sponsor obligations. Right. Are, are you oblig- obligated to come back off the nations and have a week to get ready for Monster Cup? Yeah, you know. Right. So it's like there's a lot you can't more pieces. Please everyone, you know. It's, yeah. it's there's a lot more pieces to it than you know moving parts than what people see. I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, and you know, logistically and all that, and yeah, you know, without a doubt. Um, thank you so much for taking time. Um, we could go on for days about this. Yeah. Uh, one last thing I want to ask you about is just like the GP versus the Nationals. Like, I asked Thomas this because he's close to the situation. It's like, you know, he just raced there. It's always a hot topic. I think that comparing them are kind of silly, you know. I think it's two yeah. completely different things. Um but people like to talk about it like it yeah, you know, yeah, but you sure. spoke on it earlier like if you if you think you're going to come from Europe with a a suspension setting and it's going to work then you're silly if you think vice versa then you're silly you yeah. know it, it's a tough it's a tough thing and in my mind I wish everyone could just get along and realize that the guys that are at the front of either class are you know at the end of the day, even in either class, they're the best guys in the world, and it is what it is. You know, why can't we all just race and enjoy the, the, the scenery? But do you have an opinion? No, I definitely think, like I said before, you can't compare Europe and the U.S. It's two different series. The You know, the tracks are different. The yeah. climate's different. You know, the, the preparation is a little different. Um, yes, at the end of the day, it's still a motocross bike, but it's not a, you know, it's it's completely different settings. Yeah. Um, but like I said, the guys in Europe are good, and the guys that race here in the U.S. are also good. You know, it's, like I said, my first year when I came over in 2009, I was in the 250 class, and... You know, it was it was tough the first year. Yeah. It's not it's not like Europe. And yeah. Roxon struggled his first year outdoors, so did Marvin. You don't just come over from Europe and You were from South Africa, so you had a little bit of maybe a little bit of advantage with the heat, but like it's a completely different. No, no, but he did. Even Europe. my first year still, even though it was hot, I still had it kind of you gotta remember, yes, in Europe in the summer you have nice days. I'm not gonna yeah. do nowhere near brutal temperatures like Florida, yeah. you know. But I still had to adjust to the heat. Right. You know, I was like, dude, we're racing in this. Are they going to shorten the motors? Yeah. You know? So it's like, you, you can't compare. And yes, you'll have a guy like, you know, Jeffrey, who will come over and, you know, race a national and go 1-1. Yeah. 
yeah. he's, the guy is good. Yeah. You know, he's, he's... He's on unreal. You know, it's... But it's, like I said, the to compare Europe racing and US racing is, you know, the fans always want to say the US are better and then Euros are like, oh, yeah. the Euros are better. But at the end of the day, you've got to be here racing. If you're the best, then come and race this series. Yeah. And show us that you can win the championship. And vice versa, if they say the U.S. guys are the best, then go race a, you know, a GP series and show us that you're the best. Yeah, for sure. You know? Sweet. Well, thank you so much. Um, like I said, it's awesome to kind of reminisce. Um, always end with some questions. Um, one set of questions is like an answer you answer it and then uh the other set of questions is you answer with one or the other so it's like chipotle kidoba or you know which one or the other set of questions are just like kind of more background questions or personality stuff you choose personality stuff all right all right uh most important object you own that you've purchased um my house okay uh guilty pleasure food uh chocolate chocolate uh morning person or night um i'm morning person um biggest pet peeve like can be anything um something that Um, you trip up on all the time Alden getting on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's his biggest pet peeve? Oh, wait, let's make a, a list. <laughs> um, your weirdest quirk, like weird habit you have. Uh, I have to wake up in the morning, make my coffee, and go sit on the couch. So it's like a, your morning That's routine. That's my routine. Okay. Fair and enough. then get the kids ready for school. Uh, any other sport you would do or talent you would have, what would it be? If I really want to do another sport, I'd like to do Formula One. Formula One. Um, travel back in time to any event. Isle of Wight. Isle of Wight? GP? GP. I never raced there, but I always heard it was so 2005, sick. yeah. We used to go across on the ferry from where I lived and watch the Speedway. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's no, a cool the, little place. That, that's, that's probably the best outdoor track I've ever ridden on. sick. Um, thing you're the worst at? Running. Running? <laughs> um, thing you're the best at other than riding or training? Making coffee. Making coffee? Well, this dude that we just saw, he was next level. Yeah. My mother's good at him, but I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm your quote, to, quote, or quote to, that you live by or your favorite quote? Um, never give up. Keep pushing the boundaries. There you go. All right. Thank you, Tyler. That's episode four of Shifting Gears. And... Um, We'll be back. Uh, we have a Skosh gift bag for you, as always. Um, they hooked you, uh, every guest up with some sick stuff, a bag full of goodies. And I uh, hope you enjoy those. And thanks for coming on. Perfect. Thank you very much.